You're listening to The Gathering Church Podcast. Located in Asheville, North Carolina, The Gathering is a place where you can belong before you believe. To find out more, visit gatherashville.org. God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, and we were all given the one spirit. There should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal Equal concern concern for each each other. For if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Welcome to The Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor, and it's so good to be with you today. Big welcome to everybody joining us online. We're so honored that you're here. Thank you for being a part of this as well. Uh, You guys just got to meet Matthew and Michelle Coleman there from the Asheville Dream Center. And I don't know about you, every time I see those those two, they, they just make me smile. They're just good people, and uh, I'm tell- if you haven't had the opportunity uh, to serve with them or be involved with the Dream Center in any way yet, I want to encourage you to go, go on their website, look at the dates that you can serve in that community, and sign up to serve. It is a blessing just to be, uh, to be serving, but it is also a blessing to be in the presence of those two people because they just love God so much and it is contagious. We've got an opportunity coming up in just a couple of weeks. Our church is actually providing over 60 Thanksgiving dinners to Hillcrest Apartments where uh, Asheville Dream Center is serving right now on their Adopt the Block. And uh, we, we're gonna be giving out those meals and, and that's in just a couple Saturdays. And so uh, come join us for that and, uh, and we hope to see you there. Well, hey. Next Sunday, we're beginning a series called All That Matters, All That Matters. And, you know, uh, if you don't know, our, our church, we, we have four purposes that drive us, and it's, a, it's really a spiritual journey that we want to walk every single person down, and that's that they might know God, that you might be able to know Him and be in a personal relationship with Him. And we believe that's the first step with no qualifiers, with no other, no other requirements, that you can know God just as you are. And then we want you to find freedom, to take all the things that have got in the way of God's best for your life and to put them behind you, to start to drop off the chains of sin and habit and addiction and bad mindsets and all the things that get in our way, we believe we can find freedom from them. And so 
finding freedom is the next thing. And then after that, we want you to discover your purpose. We believe God created you with a very specific purpose, that he has a dream for your life, that all the gifts that you have, the passions that you have, the experiences you've had, they all lead into this God-given purpose. And once you've discovered that purpose, we want to give you ways to make a difference in that purpose. And so uh, all that matters, this series that we're starting next week is a Make a Difference series. We're going to be talking about all the ways that we can make a difference and what that looks like in our lives. And I'm so excited uh, to get into that. That's going to be a four-week series that we'll be doing during this month. And it'll be closing on Sunday, December 6th. And on Sunday, December 6th, as we close out that series, we're going to be having what we call Legacy Sunday. Legacy Sunday. Uh, our year in giving is called the Legacy offering. And uh, we'll talk more about what that means and what that looks like and as we get closer to it. But we really believe that God has called us not just for this season, but to leave a legacy of life change here in our city. And so we always point that giving initiative in that direction towards leaving a legacy. And we've got three different legacy lanes we'll be sharing with you this year, the, the different areas where we'll be giving generously. And I, I really believe that it is such a blessing to be able to be a part uh, of leaving that kind of legacy here in our city. And I hope that uh, you'll begin to pray and prepare and plan for how you'll be a part of our legacy offering this year. You know, at the gathering, we never want to pressure you into giving and we never want to uh, drop things on you last minute. We don't believe in uh, manipulating people into giving. Instead, we would rather give you the information and give you time to talk about it and to pray over it and to plan together as a family so that we can make a, a, an impact together as a church in a way that is cheerful, joyful, and wise. I know that for many, it's been a difficult year financially, and we understand that, absolutely. Let me remind you that God is far more concerned with the condition of our hearts than he is with any amount that we can put in an offering plate. And throughout Scripture, he calls us to give in proportion to what we've been given. So I believe we should give sacrificially and proportionately, but God is not keeping tabs on whether or not it was more or less than it was last year. As your church, we have a commitment. We make a commitment to you to never pressure or manipulate you in the ways of finances. And instead, we would rather you receive the blessing that we, be, we believe comes from being joyful in giving and worshipful in giving. And so we just ask you to ask God and we're gonna give you the opportunity and we'll talk more about that over the coming weeks. I promise it won't be the only thing we talk about for the next six weeks. We just wanna continue to give you the information that we believe you need to make the right decision for you and your family. Well, today we're going to be wrapping up our two-part series called Body Image. Body Image. Makes me think about Arnold. Body makes me think about the bodybuilder. That's the only Arnold impression I'm going to do today, and I promise you that. I was trying to think about a good series title and illustration for the season that we're in right now, not just as a church, but as a city and even as a country. And uh, we chose this idea of body image because of this verse, this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verse 8, it starts. It says, in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just the way he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? 
As it is, there are many parts in one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. It's a funny illustration to think about somebody's body disagreeing with itself and a hand telling a foot to get the heck out of here. It's a kind of a silly illustration and yet... As the body of Christ, as the church, the people that our city desperately need to be working together for the sake of this city, to bring glory to God here in this city. When we are divided amongst things like our politics, it it is like the body, one body part telling another body part, I don't need you. I've had kind of a rough year physically. I've had headaches for many years, but this year they've ramped up. And as a result, I've been taking a whole lot of ibuprofen. I know, let me get to that part. All of the ibuprofen that I've been taking gave me an ulcer. And so I've had stomach trouble as well. And it's felt like my head and my stomach have been at odds with one another, disagreeing with one another, hating one another. And as a result, my whole body's been far less effective than I could be. And I'm not gonna get any better by simply fixing one or the other. In order to be the best version of myself again, I've got to treat the ulcer and get to the bottom of the headaches and figure out how to make my body as a whole healthier in the future. See, I believe it's not just a matter of getting all the Democrats in our church to change their minds about their policies. And it's not just a matter uh, of getting the Republicans in our church to change their minds about their policies. It's a matter of both of us finding a way together to be a far more effective body. And so this week, we had an election. And some people are feeling confident and excited today. And some people are feeling angry and anxious about the future. And the election may be over, but the division is not. And the division may be getting worse. Not just division in our country, but division right here at home in our city, division in our families, and even division in our churches. And I believe the division is getting worse in our churches because first, we judge actions over character. We judge actions over character. I want to talk about fundamental attribution error. We're going to talk about fundamental attribution error today. It's a sociology class for just a moment, if you'll bear with me. Get out your three ring binders. We're going to talk about this. It's a cognitive bias that many of us suffer from. It's what happens when we attribute behavior to character. Instead of dealing in moments, we deal in absolutes. He acts that way. He performed that action. Therefore, That is who he is. It's what happens when we judge others by an action rather than cumulative character over time. We judge ourselves always by a different standard. We don't apply this to ourselves. We judge ourselves by our character, what we believe is true about our character, instead of our actions. Here's an example. Jeff's late. Jeff's late because he's lazy, irresponsible, and disorganized. Apologies to anyone named Jeff. I'm late. I'm late because I was helping the kids get ready and one of them was moving very slow this morning. You see the difference. 
Anybody ever think this way? I think, I think that we do this a lot in the context of people's politics. So we think, oh, you voted Democrat, so you must be extreme and radical, maybe corrupt. Or, oh, you voted Republican, so you must be heartless and rude and intolerant. However I voted, I voted the issues, not the person. I chose the lesser of two evils. I support this, but I don't support that. We apply different standards to the people we see than we do to ourselves. As mature followers of Christ, we can't afford to think this way. Our calling is to see beyond a behavior into the heart of the person, to see the character and the calling, not just the action. And the second reason we're seeing so much division in our church is because we keep putting our political filter over our faith filter. This is what happens when instead of letting our faith determine our worldview, including our politics, we let our party politics determine our worldview, including our faith. It's what happens when we, in all of our wisdom, decide that we know exactly who Jesus would vote for, and we tell everybody that they should too. Here's the deal. Democrats use scripture to make strong arguments for Jesus to be a Democrat. Republicans use scripture to make strong arguments for Jesus to be a Republican. And I believe the truth is that as Pastor Tony Evans once said, Jesus did not come to take sides, he came to take over. He was less trying to teach you how to vote and more trying to teach you how to live. So as you filter the world, instead of placing your political filter on first, we have to begin with our faith filter and then go from there. These two things have been dividing us long before we were in a political standoff this fall. These things have been making Thanksgiving dinners awkward for thousands of years. But they don't need to divide your family any longer. And I don't believe that they need to divide our church any longer. I believe we are one church, one body, united under one head, that is Jesus Christ, that we have one mission and one calling and one purpose here in our city, and that it is greater than any other calling, any other purpose, any other distraction, any other thing that is happening in the world right now. The most important thing is the mission we were given by Jesus, to go and make disciples of all the world, baptizing them in the nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So I want to leave you with four thoughts from one passage of Scripture, and then I promise not to talk about politics again for another six months or so, once we've forgotten. I want to study Colossians chapter 3 today. Paul wrote this letter to the people of Colossus, uh, Colossi during Colossus would be a cool name for the city though. They should rethink it. And he wrote this letter to these people during a time of a four-way major division within the church. The church had people who were Jew and Gentile and they were taught all of their lives not to spend any time together. And then once Jesus ascended, all of a sudden they were meant to be a part of one body. It was very difficult. There was a division between Jew and Gentile, and then there was a division between two different sects of Christianity that were popped up in the city. So four major areas of division. People were caught up in it, and they were treating each other with contempt, 
They were dividing, refusing to work together, and it was robbing their church of its effectiveness. So this letter was Paul's way of saying, knock it off, we've got bigger fish to fry. Let's study this letter together as we talk about how we can unite as one body for one purpose. And the first thing that we're going to learn is this. It's always his kingdom over this kingdom. It is always his kingdom over this kingdom. We talked about this idea last week, keeping the main thing the main thing, remembering that our focus should be on building the kingdom of God, not the temporary kingdoms of men. And in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, it says this. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. There's a few choices in phrase that I want to point out here. Paul says, since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. He offers the reminder that as followers of Jesus, we're called to live like we've crucified our old selves along with Christ and then resurrected with him, united under the same vision and mission in our lives. And then he goes on to say, you died and your life is now hidden in Christ Jesus, in Christ with Christ in God. And Jesus calls us not just to believe in him, but to completely surrender everything that we are to him. In fact, there's multiple moments in scripture where people want it their way. They want to believe in Jesus and, and, and listen to his teachings and, and get the good from it, but they don't want to give him everything that he asks for, which is everything that they are. And in every one of those moments, there's scores of people that walk away feeling sad because they weren't willing to sacrifice at the level Jesus has called us to sacrifice. It says that our lives are hidden in him because what people see first when they see us should be our representation of Christ, not our politics, not what we, not what we want to accomplish, not our dreams, but his dreams for us. And I think we forget that often, especially once we've been following Jesus for a while. When I was 19, I joined the U.S. Coast Guard. This is maybe news to you. No, I'm just kidding. I have a story almost every week. If you're new to our church, get ready. I start a lot of stories that way. And I was 19 years old. I joined the U.S. Coast Guard. And, you know, to be honest, when I made the decision to join the Coast Guard, which is, if you didn't know, a branch of the military, I thought that I knew what to expect. I had seen the Guardians starting Kevin Costner and Ashton Kutcher, and I thought, I know what's coming. I'm going to be clearly Ashton Kutcher. I'm going to get mentored by Kevin Costner. I've got this figured out. I thought to myself, I have a, a, some sort of an understanding of what's coming, but really, I thought it was just going to be kind of a cool job, something to do in my early years. And when I got to boot camp, I, I kind of faced a rude awakening. Yeah, I, I've always been a little bit, and, and my mom is in here, she can testify to this later. I've always been a little bit difficult to control. I've always been a little bit difficult to, uh, to get to do what you want me to do. 
And I joined the United States Coast Guard, and for nine weeks, I had somebody telling me when to sleep, when to wake up, when to eat, when to finish eating, when to learn, when to think, when not to think, when to do push-ups, when to go outside, when to go inside. I had somebody telling me when to poop for nine weeks. That's real. That's honest right there. And I remember thinking to myself, what have I done? What have I done? I've given up every single part of my life. I'm through. I'm finished. But somehow, by the end of that nine weeks in boot camp, I was happy to do it. I was excited. I was ready to give them every second of who I was forever. I wanted somebody to give me some orders so I could follow them. Indoctrination just works. Now, here's the deal. After I had been in for a little while and I, I had been tasting a little bit of freedom, you know, had my weekends off, had some time off here and there, able to take leave. It wasn't long between when I was ready to do anything they asked of me, whenever they asked of me, to the moment when I began to feel really inconvenienced when I would miss holidays and birthdays because of deployment. Moments when I would feel irritated and frustrated because of the lack of notice I would get before we would have all of our plans change. When I would feel outraged because a port call was canceled to go execute a mission. I would feel indignant when things didn't go the way that I wanted them to go. See, serving in the military is one of those jobs that can give you a real sense of purpose and, and, and a sense of meaning to your life because of the job that you're out doing. But if you spend your time just frustrated that you're doing exactly what you signed up to do, you're going to be robbed of all of that purpose. You're not going to get to experience it. Here's how I think that's similar to what we do as Christians. When we're young in our faith, we are excited to follow Jesus with everything that we are. We understand that he's called us to surrender, that he's meant to be number one, that he's the most important thing in our lives, and we go all out. We're telling people at work, we're having weird lunch conversations, and we don't know what to say. We're just trying to say Jesus to people, and we are excited to go and serve on our weekends or, or go take a trip somewhere to tell somebody about this thing that's changed our lives. But as time goes on, and honestly, it just doesn't take that much time, we begin to become inconvenienced by the very thing that would offer us purpose and peace and fulfillment. The very thing that we were created to do, we feel is an inconvenience to us. We begin to value our kingdom over his kingdom. And so it's not a very far jump to begin to value this earthly kingdom this country over the kingdom of God. Paul reminds us that we are hidden in Christ. He's first in our lives, and people should see him in us first and foremost. What we want, the things that we, that we get excited about that are outside of the purpose God has for us are secondary. And everything that he's called us to be is first and foremost. Our purpose is to advance his kingdom in this city and around the world. His kingdom over this kingdom. Second, we're going to learn that we, we have to. Church, we have to bury the hatchet. Before we enter into a relationship with Jesus, we live by the moral law of the culture we are raised in, for better or worse. 
We may have some morality that's informed by people, the media, our conscience, our parents. And in that moral law, often it's normal to decide that entire groups of people are not worthy of our time or attention. Grudges are normal in that moral law if they're justified. The mob decides who is or isn't guilty based on the cultural moment we're living in. But when we make the decision to follow Jesus, we have to live by a different moral law. And Galatians 6.2 outlines it for us. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. A verse that sounds really noble and good to us when we think of one another as our friends and family and people like us. I'm happy to bear the burdens of my friends and family and the people who think the way that I do. I want to bear their burdens. I want to show up for them. I'm going to provide meals for them. I'm going to carry their hurts for them. I'm going to help them heal. I'm going to walk them to freedom. But Jesus said, one another is not just the people like me. So what if your brother's burdens are nothing like your burdens? We're told to bear them anyways. Because when one part of the body mourns, the rest of the body mourns with it. It's all, it refers to the law of Christ in this passage. And the law of Christ refers to a moment in the Gospels when a man asks a question. Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so the man says to him, well, who is my neighbor? Because we want our neighbors to be like us. And then Jesus tells a story about a man beaten and left for dead on the side of the road and a priest and a rabbi walk by and leave him there, his people. Then a Samaritan, a people the Jews hated, stopped to help him. So Jesus says that the neighbors we should love, the one another's whose burdens we should bear, are even the people who are nothing like us. What does it look like to bear the burdens of your brothers and sisters who are nothing like you on a day like today. Paul goes on in verse five, Colossians three, verse five, put to death, therefore, whatever, your earth, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. And you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to one another since you have taken off your old self with its practices and you've put on a new self which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. And here, there is no Jew, Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. 
The old me is gone and dead and hidden in Christ and a new me has come. And because I am new, because we are new, we can be unified together in one body. You got to understand who the first people to read this were. It is wild, the culture that first listened to this letter. This is the Roman Empire in the first century. They were Jews who'd been living their entire lives told to not even eat with people who were Gentiles. They were slave owners who considered their slaves property, not people. They were so divided in so many ways, it seemed impossible for them to come together as one body. I mean, can you imagine a slave being told that they were elevated to the same level as their master because of Christ? Can you imagine to be the person who bought that slave? What it must have felt like to see these words, to hear them, to begin to receive them in their hearts. And yet it happened. And in that first century church, all of these different divisions melted away so they could become one body of Christ. That's why the church exploded in that first century. It was everywhere. It was growing so fast they couldn't keep up because their culture was absolutely baffled by the way they would work together to make their cities better. There's this great story from ancient Rome in the first century as Christianity was spreading. This is around 110 to 115 AD. Emperor Trajan of Rome had learned that the Christians were refusing to pledge allegiance to and worship the leader of their country. The Christians were refusing to say that the leader of their country was above all things. And so the emperor sent somebody to go investigate it. He sent an agent to interrogate them and prosecute them and investigate them and throw them in jails or execute them, whatever was appropriate. And the agent that he sent was a man named Pliny the Younger. Pliny the Younger. And Pliny found them and interrogated them. And he came out of it so confused that he had to write the emperor a letter to try and understand what he was supposed to do. This letter has survived, and here's, here's what it says. It's my practice, my Lord, to refer to you all matters concerning which I am in doubt. And then he says in a bunch of words, I have to ask you what I'm supposed to do because with Christians, the sum and substance of their fault or error has been that they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn. They were meeting before dawn, you guys. They had a seven-day work week. They were showing up at 5.30 in the morning for church. If we move this service to 8 a.m., half of you aren't coming back. These, these guys were committed. They were coming together. They were getting it before dawn on a fixed day of week to sing responsively a hymn to Christ as to a God and to bind themselves by oath. So they were singing together. Okay, that, what do I do now, Emperor Trajan? And then they were taking an oath, not to some crime, but not to commit fraud or theft or adultery not to falsify their trust, nor to refuse to return a trust when called upon, to, meaning they were going to do what people asked them to do. 
when this was over, it was, so Pliny is confused. He said, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to prosecute these guys. So far, they're getting up early and meeting together and talking about Jesus. They're singing songs together, and then they're taking oaths to be better people. I'm really not sure what to do here, emperor. When this was over, it was their custom to depart and assemble again to partake of food. Christians have always been about that after church lunch stop. Ordinary and innocent food. Even this, they affirmed they had ceased it. They would stop having lunch together if it was illegal, it says. Accordingly, I judged it all the more necessary to find out what the truth was by torturing two female slaves who were called deaconesses. And I think that you should understand that a deaconess was somebody given the responsibility of service and leadership inside the church. And this is the first century when both females and slaves were treated as a lesser category of person. And this is who the church was and is. But I discovered nothing but a depraved and excessive superstition. Pliny said, look, these people, they just seem to make their neighborhoods better. They give titles to their slaves. They treat each other with respect. They take oaths to be better people. They eat together a lot. And it seems like their primary crime is how deeply they believe all of this. This is ancient Rome, a society that looks at women, minorities, and slaves as less than people. And they all came together in Jesus' name to be his body, to worship him and his coming kingdom, not the kingdom they were living in. And because of their unity in a culture that was absolutely baffled by it, our world was forever changed. This is the legacy we inherited. Christians, this is our inheritance. This is why we have to do better. If the first church could overcome all of that in order to advance the kingdom of God as one body, we can overcome our party divisions. It's time for us to bury the hatchet. Number three, love your body. How we view body image has changed a lot in my lifetime. When I was a kid, anytime somebody with a less than perfect body was on television, they were used as a punchline. We shamed one another, we ostracized, we minimized. Some of that still happens to be certain, but there is a much louder push now than ever to say it's important to love your body no matter what shape it is. And I think when you can, it's important to take responsibility for the shape that you're in and to treat your body like the temple of the living God and to be the best version of yourself. However, I think it's a good thing for us to learn to love ourselves along the way and every step of the way. I can love my body and also say I need to make myself better at the same time. I believe it's the same with the body of Christ. That we may have changes to make as a whole, not one side or the other, uh-uh. We need to stop looking at the speck in our neighbor's eye and pull the plank out of our own and say, how can I get better? We may have some changes to make. We may not be perfect, but there may be more we can do to take care of it and to heal it. But we are the bride of Christ. 
And we need each other. And it's time to love each other all the way to getting better. Verse 12, Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. It's so important to always point out that we are holy and set apart and dearly loved with no qualifiers, no buts, just as we are. God loves us as his children, both you and the person who voted opposite you. It says, clothe yourselves with compassion because compassion gives us the ability to, without bias or buts, say, I see you and I feel your pain and I hear your side and I care for you. Kindness, because kindness says, I receive you just as you are. Kindness listens. Kindness offers without the expectation of receiving. Humility. Because humility says, maybe you could teach me something. Walt Whitman said, be curious, not judgmental. People who think they know everything spend their time judging those around them, never asking questions and never learning. Curious people are humble and teachable. And they always assume they have more to learn. Which one do you think more closely resembles the heart of Christ? Gentleness and patience, which means I will respect you and with my words and I will listen before I react. Verse 13, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive the way the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. It's so important to apply the same filter to others that Christ has applied to us. He looked past all the things that would divide us from him, that would keep us from him, that would separate us from him and said, no, I love you anyways, and I see a future for you, a purpose for you, and you and I, we can be united together for the good of this world. It's so important that as we've been forgiven, we learn to forgive. As we've been loved, we learn to love because all of these things will pass away, but these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Last thing as we close today. I told, uh, I told our team, I was like 25 minutes in the message last week and I said, the sermon's got rollover minutes. And so I get to apply all the extra minutes from last week to this week, so buckle up. I got three more points. No, I'm kidding. Number four, this body already has a head and it never changes. Colossians 1, 17 through 18 says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the thing that unites us and binds us and puts us together. We hold together because of him. We can get through seasons of severe division because in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. He has supremacy. That means over our future, means over our present, means over our country, over our homes, over this church. I know that some of you are feeling anxious 
angry, afraid over the next four years. I get it. But we are one body with one head. That gives us something better than national security. It gives us eternal security. Come on, somebody. That was the most preachery thing I've said all day. And I know that some of you are, are feeling excited, celebratory, hopeful today. And I would say to you, remember the compassion, the care, and the patience, and the peace of Christ. And apply it to every person who isn't feeling what you're feeling. Whether you're feeling joyful because you've won or anxious because you've lost, we need to come together as one body for the sake of our city. Our city is our responsibility, church. And our city is hurting. It's ripped apart. It's bleeding. Our city needs what only we can give. Our city is filled with fear and darkness and pain and wondering. In church, we are filled with hope and joy and peace and purpose. We have the only thing that can heal this place. And all of us have to work together in order to give it to them. And if we can, if we can do it, if, if we can be the church, if we can be the body of Christ, if we can say, I celebrate the ways that you're different from me, the ways that you're, you think differently than me, the ways that you're gifted differently than me. I celebrate the way that you have grown up differently than me. I celebrate the way you have different ideas than I do. I celebrate those things. Let's see how your gifts, your dreams, your thoughts work together with the ones God has gifted me with. Let's see what we can do together to be the body of Christ, one body. Let's see what happens in our city if we can unify over this one thing that is more important than any other thing. Jesus Christ is resurrected from the dead and because of that, I get to go be with him for eternity. Let's see what happens if all of us work together to communicate that message into a city that is empty of hope. Let's bring it into their hearts. And let's just watch him do what only he can do. And if we can do it, we get to claim the end of this passage. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. Be thankful. When we are divided, we are robbed of our peace. The peace that we were meant to have. The peace that makes us so effective. The peace that makes it possible for us to overcome seasons of unbelievable adversity and fear. The peace that Christ gave to us. 
members of one body, we were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus and giving thanks to God the Father through him. Both sides have been victims of anxiety and anger and frustration due to this divisive political season. We weren't created to live that way. When we live together as one body, we get the peace of Christ. And so let him become our focus as we worship together, as we serve together, as we teach together, as we learn together, as we grow together, as we serve together, as we become the body of Christ together. Let his peace, the peace of Christ, rule in our hearts. If you're in here today and you, you haven't become a part of that body yet, you haven't entered into that hope yet, you haven't received that peace yet, this is a great time to do it because now you can be a part of the great unifying body of Christ. And so if you'd like to make that decision and enter into that relationship today, it's simple. All you have to do is just decide to say yes. Yes to a gift that was given to you all those years ago. Yes to a call that Jesus gave all those years ago to come and follow him, to be discovered in him, to find your purpose in him, to find your identity in him and to give everything you are to him. If you're ready to do that, every head bowed, every eye closed, just pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, forgive me for all my sin. Forgive me for all the mistakes I've made. Forgive me for trying to do this on my own. And I ask, Lord, that you would just heal me today. That you would come into my heart, come into my life and make me whole. I give you all that I am every moment from this day forward. I am yours. I want to be hidden in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand? The Gathering Church podcast is produced by the Gathering Church creative team. Want to get involved? Fill out a Connect card online at gatherashville.org. Find us on Facebook at The Gathering Church or on Instagram at Gather Asheville.